Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. This is the classic hockey show for classic hockey fans. We celebrate the history of the game with stories told by the select few who actually lived it. Get ready for an all-access pass to the heart of the hockey universe. Welcome to episode 46 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Willand. Our guest today is 1981 Masterson Trophy winner Blake Dunlop, an 11-year NHL pro with the North Stars, Flyers, Blues, and Red Wings. As a junior in 1972-73, Blake led the Ontario Hockey Association in scoring with 159 points in 62 games. He was the first pick of the Minnesota North Stars in the 1973 NHL Draft. After four up and down seasons with Minnesota, Blake's career took a turn for the better in 1977-78 when he joined the AHL's Maine Mariners, the affiliate of the Philadelphia Flyers. Blake helped lead the Mariners to a Calder Cup championship and was named the league's MVP. After a season in the NHL with the Flyers, Blake was traded to the St. Louis Blues, where he finally found a hockey home. In 1980-81, he collected 20 goals and 67 assists, centering a line with Jorgen Pedersen and Wayne Babich as the Blues vaulted to second in the NHL season standings. Much like the description of the Masterton Trophy, Blake's career is a study in perseverance and dedication in the face of numerous obstacles. We'll talk with Blake about his rise to NHL stardom and many of the notable personalities met along the way, such as Dennis Potvan, Gump Worsley, Red Berenson, Steve Eiserman, and many more. As always, we remind you to please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. This helps the show become more visible to hockey fans around the world. Also, get daily news and notes about the podcast and Pro Hockey Alumni on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, ProHockeyAlumni.org. Now, let's talk classic hockey with Blake Dunlop. We're back in the show with Blake Dunlop. Blake, of course, 1981 Master Trophy winner with the St. Louis Blues. Had an outstanding career with the Blues. A, the first pick of the Minnesota North Stars back in 1983. Also played with the Detroit Red Wings. Blake, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Mark, for having me. I look forward to, to talking with you. As I was uh, saying to Blake prior to the show, we'll be, we had our most recent guest, or one of our most recent guests is Wayne Babich, who we'll be seeing tomorrow. So now we have Blake, and then we just have to add Jorgen Pedersen on uh, to f- complete that line of the St. Louis Blues in mm-hmm. 80-81. We'll get to that in a moment, but I did want to start out first, you know, Blake, as a young man... You not only played ice hockey, of course, but you also were an accomplished tennis player and probably played a lot of other sports, too. Can you talk about that a little bit, that multi-sport influence on your career? Well, I think, you know, things are, are a little bit different today than they, they were back then. Not that they're, they're, they're necessarily correct, but um, obviously when, when I grew up, um, uh, my family, my mom and dad were both... Um, uh, very athletic. Um, uh, they grew up in Halifax, went to college down there, and uh, 
were both, um, you know, very highly ranked uh, tennis players. My mom played field hockey. She played tennis. My dad played basketball and, and tennis. So we as a family, I grew up in a family of five boys. Uh, there was three of us. I'm the second oldest, uh, but we were all kind of a year and a half apart. So we were always um, very uh, competitive and very together, I guess. And in the summers, uh, we we played uh, uh, tennis and, and, and traveled around uh, Canada and played uh, in the United States a little bit, playing tennis at a you know, high level under the junior ranks from you know, under 12, 14, 16, and 18. Um, and, uh, um, you know, we're always highly ranked in Canada. And my brother, older brother, went to Princeton, played tennis and hockey. I had some opportunities to go play college tennis as well as hockey, but uh, decided um, where I was and able to play major juniors, stay in my hometown in Ottawa. Uh, play for the 67s was the right thing to do. But I think being uh, an all-round athlete helps you. I, I, I think young people can get burned out too easily now and concentrating on one sport, just the physical part of it. Obviously, they're recurring and repetitive from injuries, but, but also mentally as well. I, I do think it's refreshing and, and, and good for the young people to uh, not get too narrowed in to one sport until you get a little bit older. So you end up playing junior hockey, as you noted, with the fabled Ottawa 67s franchise in the OHA at the time. And how did that all come about? And that, that's a, obviously it's a big thing. And you're just 16 years old at the time, I believe, 69, 70. How did that all transpire? And um, how did they scout you? And how did you become an Ottawa 67? Well, um, I grew up in Ottawa, so I was playing uh, minor hockey there. And... Uh, Played for a good um, midget team uh, in St. Louis when I was still, I guess, first year midget um, called the M and W Rangers, and and uh, um, was a was a good franchise. And the Ottawa 67s also had, at that time had a midget team that uh, encompassed some of the players that joined the team later, like uh, Gordy McCormick, Brian McSheffrey, and 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 Denny Potvin, and and some others. So. Um, I got invited to the camp when I was a 16-year-old. Um, I lived in Ottawa, so it was allowed me to kind of stay there. Um, I went through training camp and ended up actually being, I think, the last guy cut. It was uh, They had an import um, from uh, Czechoslovakia called Joe Straka, I think his name was, right. that they had decided to keep um, ahead of me at that particular time, I think, uh, and back then as a 16 year old, you could, you know, they could keep you and play in your hometown. And once you joined the team, then you didn't have to go into the draft the next year. But after the initial camp and a couple of weeks later, uh, the M and W Rangers, uh, which was a tier two junior team, um, uh, played an exhibition game against the Ottawa 67s major junior A team, and in that game, we ended up um, tying them 3-3, and I had a good game. I think I had a goal and a couple assists or a couple goals and assists, and I think I re-caught um, Bill Long's attention mm-hmm. um, after that game and uh, felt like he, he felt like could play. So uh, he called me, uh, signed, they signed me back up, and I joined the team um for a road game the, my first game was in hamilton um uh at that particular time and 
things went well for me. I think I scored a goal in my first shift and things from there uh, helped me stabilize and become, uh, you know, a four-year member of the, of the Ottawa 67s where we had a good teams and good franchise. Sure did. And I was curious, at the age of 16 years old, Blake, you're jumping into a league where you're playing against 19-year-olds, guys getting ready to play pro hockey in a lot of cases. It was a little intimidating as a young man or you just felt felt like you were ready to go and you just stepped right in? You're still growing at that point. You're only 16. Uh, what was that like being so young and jumping into the rough tumble world of OHA hockey? Well, it it, it was. And I, I, you know, I don't remember, you know, I'm, I'm 5'10 height. Um, you know, when I when I played pro, I was playing around, uh, you know, 180 pounds, uh, 183. I think when I first came into, uh, when I was 16, I made it, I might have weighed 155 pounds right. or something like that. And, and playing against the, uh, the 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 Dan Maloney's and the, the Steve Durbanos, uh, uh, you know, who were, uh, it, it was a little bit intimidating at at times. And and they tried to make their presence known to a skinny young centermen like myself uh, that I better not score again after I scored or something would happen. So, um, but I think it's like, any. I think Bill Long did a good job with me and in, in keeping me in the right, you know, right places, not putting me in a, in spots where, you know, uh, I might be vulnerable. And we had some older players, uh, Peter LaFramboise and Connie uh, Corey that were, you know, uh, physical guys that, uh, that, that would help out if, if needed. You know, you mentioned Pete Lafremboise, and I was always curious about him. He was the leading scorer your first year with the team. What kind of a guy was he? Of course, he's since passed away. Uh, I had never met him, but he seemed like kind of a colorful type of character. What type of guy was Pete? He he was that, and he was a good leader, and actually became a a, a good friend. and And I was just back in Ottawa the this last uh, couple summers. I hadn't been back for a while. They had their 50th anniversary of players, you know, um, from 1967 and they honored certain players. So I got to see some of my old uh, teammates, uh, Paul Sheard and, and Brian McSheffrey and Brian and, and Peter got into the same. They were both, uh, became, uh, mailman or postman after their mm-hmm. playing days. And, uh, Peter was a character. He was, a, he was a lanky, tall centerman. And, uh, he was also a fairly, uh, a scrappy guy too. Um, so he did a lot for the team back then when, you know, those first couple of years, we were a little bit lean as far as our overall talent, but we certainly, uh, you know, got it filled in with, uh, you know, Billy Clement and Murray Wilson and, you know, Ian Turnbull and over the years, Bonnie LaRock, we had, we, we had some real good players. You sure did. The team was outstanding as you said, as you went along and one guy I have to ask you about, because you have a unique perspective. You're 16. There's a 15 year old who enters the scene named Dennis Potvan, who you end up playing with for four years. So what was he like back then? I mean, did you, did you have that indication early on that he was going to be something special? One of the great players to ever play the, the, the sport. And you saw him from a very young age. Uh, tell us a little bit about Dennis Potvan and what he was like back then. Uh, Denny, Denny and I uh, were, you know, we played four years together. We, we were, you know, really the, the, the leaders on the team, I think, as time went on, especially the last couple of years. Uh, but Denny has a, you know, he started one year before me as a 15 year old and he was physically mature uh, even back then. Like I said, I might have been, you know, 150 or 55 pounds and Denny was probably, you know, 185, 190 pounds at the time and growing to, you know, to be over 200 plus. And he was physical. 
and he was skilled and he had all the uh, and the mental attributes to be a great, uh, you know, Hall of Fame player, uh, which he proved to be and had a great, uh, obviously a great junior career, but but even more successful career with the Islanders and winning the Stanley Cups and, and being the leader of that uh, that team. So uh, you could tell right away he was, you know, he was uh, heads and shoulders above uh, anybody his, you know, his age physically and, and, and skill-wise. Yeah, I think in, later in your career, a guy I get to know, another Hockey Hall of Famer, Leo Boyvin, became the head coach of the uh, 67. Is that correct? Yes. My last year, um, Bill Long, uh, who was my coach for three years, was a great mentor to me and helped me get my career going and and uh, and establishing myself as as a potential pro player. He went to uh, London Knights. Uh, Howard Darwin owned both the Ottawa 67s and London Knights, and I uh, don't know exactly how or what uh, transpired there, but Bill went uh, to coach London that year, and Leo came in as the head coach uh, in Ottawa, and Leo was uh, was great to me. He was I was just there the one year with him, uh, he did become a scout afterwards with Minnesota North Stars, I think, the following year, and that's who drafted me. Uh, but Leo was uh, was very good for me, too. He, uh, uh, you know, I was the captain at the time under Bill Long the first year, and, and my, my next year with Leo, he, I remained the captain, and I had a, an excellent year winning the scoring title because Leo really gave me opportunity and put me in place to continue to succeed. A heck of a nice guy too. I used to really enjoy. He, yeah. when I was working with the Whalers, he was a scout with us. So when every every time Leo came in, I always enjoyed. Of course, I I live in the Boston area, so he's a Bruins legend as well. So um, it's just curious about about those those times with him. But as you noted, your team is getting real real talented. So you rack up 159 points in your final season. Dennis Potvin is drafted by the Islanders. Ian Turnbull goes to the Maple Leafs, and you're the first pick, 18th overall in the second round of the Minnesota North Stars. Also at that time, there's a unique situation happening in hockey that may never be replicated in that you had a rival league, the World Hockey Association. The New England Whalers also draft you. They draft you in the first round. I was curious if they ever made a, 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 a strong bid to sign you, and that's something you ever you ever considered before signing with the North Stars. Well, they did. They they followed me all through my 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 last year and and had reached out to me, um, you know, some that they they were interested. And you know, in looking back, um, you know, you're. I, I, you know, I, I made a decision, I think, early on to go to the North Stars or to the NHL um, just because it was the NHL and thought that that was going to be my, my best opportunity to do it. Um, and again, not sure how that league was going to go and all the different things involved and being a, a young person trying to, you know, help sort through that decision. Right. So. It's something I considered. Um, I think they had a real interest in me. I, could I have pursued it further now that I look back? Probably. Um, but, um, you know, the North Stars were a good, solid franchise, at, um, you know, at that time. I think when I went there, they were they were getting a little bit um, long in the tooth with some of their players. And, and then they had to go through a little bit of transformation to get from where they were competitive but older to you know kind of refresh the whole the whole team right good point as that leads me to my next question as you come into training camp the next year in minnesota 
as you said, you got a lot of veteran players. There's some really interesting guys. Uh, Gump Worsley, goaltender. Bill Goldsworthy, J JP Parise. You know, some real good veteran Gary Bergman, Teddy Harris. You got some guys who really been around, but it had to be an interesting experience for for yourself coming out of junior and going to a group like that of real veteran players and again some colorful characters. Uh, Gump Worsley. I mean, you actually played with Gump Worsley. That's that's really <laughs> interesting. You know? Yeah, it, it, it was. It, it was a bit of a, an adjustment, really. I mean, I, when I, most of the guys are, you know, even I'm rooming with somebody as old as my dad almost, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, a little bit of an adjustment being a younger player trying to break in. It was very old school. But I also would say that those guys were, were, were very good to me. Uh, uh, Bill Goldsworthy, J.P. Paris, they became um, you know, good friends, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, Jude Druan was somebody else that uh, came with JP Parise to the team. Um, you know, from the Islanders, so right. there was a lot of guys there that were helpful. Lou Nanny was another one who was there, and and uh, uh, Murray Oliver. So I, I I did have a lot of guys that that helped, but it was a little bit uh, uh, of a different. You know, going from from you know, junior team to that, that level of pro and, and Gump was a colorful, interesting guy. When you, you looked at him, um, you wondered how the guy could ever, uh, his body could ever stop a puck. Or right. But when he got in the net, man, he could, um, you know, he was agile and quick and competitive and he, he didn't like to, he didn't like to practice. Uh, you know, I'll tell you a little story of, um, you know, he, he never wore a mask, but he would wear it in, in practice. And we would used to do this drill where we'd pass it to the winger, you know, going down, you know, step over the blue line, top of the circles, take a shot on the goalie, you know, to kind of just get moving, get warmed up. Well, well, Gump didn't want to stand in the net. So he would stand off to the side of the net and try to <laughs> knock them out of the way with his goalie stick because he didn't really want to get hit. <laughs> so then some of the older players started shooting at him and hitting them and then he <laughs> then he chased a few of them around the rink with his stick afterwards so it was a little bit of a intro into the pro leagues watching watching all this shenanigans going on That's right different times to be sure i think gump was still maskless at that point he tried it for a few games that year but uh yeah he he did play he didn't play a lot of games uh but but the games he played i remember one game in particular in long island he played or was in minnesota against the Andre played phenomenal game and and you know here he was uh you know 40 some years old i think at the time and and uh you know no mask on and and uh not something that you're gonna gonna see again you head our way northeast that season you play a handful of games with north stars but you do play your first year pro in new haven connecticut new haven coliseum and you just uh, tear it up, 78 points in 59 games, another 14 and 10 postseason games. But New Haven, New Haven, Connecticut, uh, it's a, I guess, the American Hockey League. It's kind of a interesting affiliation. You get some older guys, you get some, some younger guys. You got Parker McDonald and Charlie Burns, who both coached at various times that year. What was that first year of pro hockey like in the AHL in New Haven? Well, we had a we had a pretty good team, like you said. There were some veteran players. We had uh, we had some younger guys that had come in, uh, um, you know, to, to that were drafted. Uh, Charlie Burns was another guy who was a mentor to me uh, that uh, was was good to me. But he only coached a little bit, and I think he got called up. And Parker McDonald was obviously a, uh, an older old school kind of guy, 
with our with our team. And um, you know, I, I I had a great season there. We had some good 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 players. I ha- I had a real good playoffs, and and uh, um, I thought we could have gone a little bit uh, a little bit farther that year. We bumped off Rochester in the first round. That was uh, Don Cherry coach team at the time. Um, they had all veterans. Uh, you know, good team had kind of won the league handily, uh, and and we went in and knocked them off, and then uh, didn't didn't go through the the next round. But it was a good, uh, I think, learning experience. Uh, I mean, I, I scored a lot of goals that year. I'm not necessarily a a goal scorer, uh, but the way our power play, we had Steve West uh, uh, on there and Jerry Byers, and I ended up being in the middle that uh, on the power play where I was able to. Uh, to bang in a bunch of goals um, that particular year. Um, so I think it was a good experience for me. I would have liked to, have, uh, you know, jump right to the NHL, but I think with the state of the, the team being older at that time and, and uh, just the way things went, um, you know, I had to wait till the next year. Right. And the next year you do play 52 games, just been a few games in New Haven in the subsequent years, uh, actually, I did want to ask you about one question, that 74-75 season, your first uh, substantial tour of the NHL. Do you remember, Blake, your, your first NHL goal? Um, I do. I do. It took a little bit of time coming. Um, but, um, you know, the first year, I think I played 12 games. I didn't get any goals. And then um, it was actually against Chicago Blackhawks and uh, Tony Esposito uh, was in Nets, who was one of my uh, – uh, kind of goalies that I liked growing mm-hmm. up, uh, um, and the Blackhawks were a team I liked as as a young person as well. But uh, really, it was just kind of a bang bang play where we're in the other zen- end zone. I think it was Lou Nanny was kind of behind the net, and I was moving in just in front of the cage. Got a pass, you know, short range, and was able to put it through um, the legs of uh, Tony for for my first NHL goal. So it was exciting. Um, you know, always something you remember. And, uh, you know, uh, was glad to get it. Yeah, and you got it against one of the greatest of all time. So extra, extra special there. So in that, that stretch of time, Blake, between North Stars and New Haven, you're kind of going up and down, have another great year, 76-77 in New Haven with 93 points in 76 games. Uh, but you're still going up and down. And uh, so my, my question is, and this kind of plays into some things that happen later in your career, is we're talking a little bit about perseverance. You're a young guy. You must have confidence that you obviously you're scoring at the AHL level. You probably feel like you can do the same at the AHL. You've got some injuries during that time, if I recall correctly. What's your mindset like, and how are you staying positive? And are you are you still confident that you're going to be a successful NHL player? Well, I, I think I was. Um, the, the injuries really were, um, I, I, I think, slowed me down or detrimental at the time. That, that year um, in, in Minnesota when I was up, I was playing well. Uh, wasn't, you know, just, uh, you know, I was playing on a, on a line, um, Alphys and Ernie Hickey, and we were just starting to click and, and, and score some points, and I was getting more comfortable. And then I, I got a kind of a, a called a cheap shot, but I, I got a very severe knee injury in, in Long Island. Uh, I went to step around a defenseman and put out his knee when I didn't have any weight on my leg and it uh, Mm -hmm. tore my, uh, my, uh, you know, the ligaments on the inside of my knee and the anterior cruciate and my capsule in the back of my knee. So it was an extensive surgery in February. I think uh, early February is when it happened. So 
it, it hurt that I wasn't able to continue on and, and gain confidence and gain experience that, that year. And then I had to go through all summer of, of rehab. I had my leg in a cast for two months and go through rehab and try to get back. And even at training camp, um, you know, I had to wear a brace, you know, my knee wasn't quite right. It just, you know, it takes, takes a while. And especially back then we didn't have the, right. probably the training or, or the, physical therapy or whatever you want to say to move that along. So again, then it took me a little bit of time to get, you know, kind of get, get things going, get the strength back and, and this, and the quickness back that I needed. Um, and, uh, you know, then the next time I was up with the uh, Minnesota, um, it was same thing it was uh, just a freak accident. I'd been playing well. We were in a morning skate with just sweatpants on and, uh, you know, just out there lightly skating, caught a rut, and uh, ended oh. up doing the splits and tore my uh, hamstring. Brutal. I didn't uh, know that. that that's, wow. Yeah. And that took me out for the next couple months, you know, really the end of that season. So it was very frustrating because I, I kind of felt like I was just every time I was getting going. And, uh, you know, and, and then uh, then I'd run into this injury. And I, I think the next year um, – you know, was, you know, during that time when I, when I had the big, big season, you know, it was kind of before that with in the American hockey league, I felt like, you know, I can score at this level, uh, you know, I'd be a dominant player, but I need to do it at the next level. And every time I kind of got my chance, I, I, I ran into that uh, little bit of an injury, but that was, you know, when I was only 20, you know, two or something like that at the, at the time, 23 years old. So it was kind of an important time to be missed that, that many games. Well, you get something fortuitous happens to you as you keep battling through this and keep persevering. At the beginning of 77 78, you're down in Fort Worth, Texas, and the uh, North Stars trade you to the Flyers organization. And that is a very, it's very interesting at the time. The American Hockey League was, with the competition from the WHA, the overall economy of in the U.S. at the time, the American Hockey League was struggling somewhat. And so in 1977, the Providence franchise moves to Maine, and the Flyers had that as their affiliate, and they really get behind it. And that's one of the best franchises uh, of that era in the American Hockey League, probably the best in Maine. So you go there with Bob McCammon, great goaltending, Pete Peters, Rick St. Croix, and you have... An amazing first season. I remember it a little bit, too, because as a young guy, I actually sent away to Maine to, uh, I think, the PR director, uh, Doc Emmerich at the time. And um, yep. I sent away for an autographed photo of Blake Donlop, which I did receive. Thank you very much, <laughs> I could say, 40 years later. So <laughs> appreciate that. But uh, what a year for you. Um, you're the MVP of the league. You win the Fred Hunt Sportsmanship Award. You're a first-team all- all-star in the Maine Mariners go all the way. Uh, so it's still the American Hockey League, but things have to be looking good for you now. You're getting healthier. You had a, really a remarkable season. Again, you can go all the way and, and win the Cup. Talk a little bit about that that year in Maine, 77-78. Well, it was, um, you know, I, I just felt like uh, at the time I needed to, you know, get out of the, the North Stars organization um, you know, it, 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 things just, for whatever reason, I hadn't been able to, to crack in that year. I went to Fort Worth. I think it was between myself and Bill Hogebaum, and they decided to keep, you know, keep him. And so I was very frustrated at the time. And so to get, 
uh, an opportunity to go to one of the top franchises, even though it was in Maine. Like you said, they got behind it. They brought in good players. They brought in some experienced players. Terry Murray was there, who I played with in in Ottawa 67s early on my career. Dennis Patterson. And they had some good physical players, uh, obviously Philly style then. But they also had some good, good skilled players with Tommy Lawrence and and uh, Al Hill. You know, we had a great line uh, played together. Plus, uh, you know, we we had uh, we had some depth, and and so um, getting that opportunity uh, playing in a franchise, playing for good coaches. So, Pat, uh, you know, Bob McCammon that year, Pat Quinn was involved uh, coming in the following year. Um, those guys uh, appreciated my play and uh, gave me a, an opportunity, um, you know, and, and the results were there and, and some of the accolades that you mentioned. And the real key was being uh, on a team that went all the way through to win the Calder Cup uh, and win a championship was uh, was very exciting. Right. And I'll tell you, it was quite a year, and the league really needed a franchise like that at that point. It was perfect timing. As I mentioned before our interview, one of the players, one of the defensemen on that team, Norm Barnes, will be seeing tomorrow as well. And, you know, that uh, a lot of those main Mariners ended up becoming Philadelphia Flyers. And then a couple of years later, uh, Frank Bath and uh, Ron Busnick and Norm Barnes would all go up there and uh, have, have a lot of success in 79-80. But prior to that, Blake, you join the Flyers and you finally get a, a full season in the National Hockey League in 78-79. Now, the Flyers aren't exactly thin at the center spot at that time. They've got Bobby Clark, uh, Mel, Mel Gidge, uh, Bridgman, uh, Kenny Lindsman was kind of up and down that year, but in the in the mix, Rick McLeish. So, if you could talk a little bit about that that year in Philadelphia as a as a Flyer and um, that experience for you that season. Yeah, and that really was uh, kind of where my my I guess I solidified myself as a, as an NHLer and 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 felt confident that the Flyers. It, it was a struggle again, even through training camp. Uh, I didn't stick with the team. Uh, they kept uh, another center from our main team after I won the MVP and had been uh, all these things, and I was very very disappointed. Um, but that didn't last long. I got a call up early in the season and um, went on a West Coast road trip. I just had uh, my first child um, and and uh, daughter, and they had just moved down to uh, Maine, and I got the call up. I think the day my wife arrived with my baby, uh, our baby, we had to. I had to go on the West Coast, and I was again fortunate uh, that this time the first game I scored a couple goals in the first game in LA went on a road trip went to Vancouver had uh, had some success early on and again um, you know with Bob McCammon uh, who was there Pat Quinn I think was then down with me in Maine and he had given me a good chance those those early games I had good success Pat got to see what I could do at that level and Bob knew me from the year before and uh I got a chance to play and I got a chance to play with, with some good players, uh, Rick McLeish and I, they moved Rick McLeish to wing and uh, we killed a lot of penalties together and had, had a lot of success and uh, played some with Paul Holmgren and, and Bob Kelly and, and, and even got a chance to play a number of games with uh, Leach and, and, and Barber mm-hmm. where they had moved uh, Clark to, uh, to another line trying to balance things out. So, um, 
that gave me a chance to score 20 goals, prove myself. Uh, it made myself obviously more visible with a with the Friars, you know, team and franchise. Um, you know, showing showing what I could what I could do, and I think that ultimately, uh, you know, led me, uh, you know, to to St. Louis through that that trade that that following year. Right, Blake, talking about the Flyers of that era, and you had, as you said, Paul Holmgren and Bob Kelly, Mel Bridgman, Ben Wilson, some guys who could really, really fight a tough team, a tough team to play against. You played against the Flyers in that generation, now you're playing with them. Did you get a sense that teams were intimidated coming into the spectrum to, to play the Flyers? Did you have a feeling that maybe some teams were defeated psychologically before the game even began? I, I definitely think that was a part of it. I, I know playing against them, it was the, it was uh, a tough place to play. They were a tough team to play, and in that era, they could use that um, tactic, if you would, uh, to intimidate teams because there was no, you know, if there's one fight, there was no separation. It was five guys grabbing five guys. So uh, if they wanted to insta- instigate things, uh, they certainly had the ability under those rules to do it. Um, and so I think there was a bit of intimidation factor. I know when we went in there to play them, and I think the same thing when other teams came in there. Um, and, you know, obviously the rules and things slowly changed, but but um, they were a big physical team, and, and that's how they had had success, and that was still part of their makeup um, when, when, I was, when I was there. You noted that you're – you were packaged with uh, Rick LaPointe as the Flyers are, are looking for some goaltending depth. And one of our previous show uh, guests, Phil Meir, uh, coming to Philadelphia from St. Louis, you go the other way to the Blues. Your life changes permanently uh, in many ways as you go to the Blues. What was your reaction? What was your reaction being traded to St. Louis? Interesting enough, I think at the beginning it wasn't really that <laughs> that great. Um, I think what what Emil Francis did, and to his credit, he he went and 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 found a lot of guys who had been like myself that were uh, high draft picks who had been um, you know had good talent, but but thus far hadn't uh, you know maybe fully uh, excelled yet at that level. Whether that's Rick Lapointe or Blair Chapman or other people, Ralph Klassen, that they ended up bringing into St. Louis, Mike Liu, all guys that really hadn't proven themselves but but had a little bit of pedigree. Um, but the call I got, uh, it was, you know, early in the morning. Uh, I think my wife and I were still sleeping or woke up when I got a call from Keith Allen saying, you know, thank you very much uh, for, you know, what you've done. Uh, but we, you know, we've been traded to, to St. Louis Blues. And, and so – I get open and take a look at, you know, find somewhere where I can look at what the standings were last year. And here, you know, Philadelphia, I think we finished second in the league, you know, uh, got bumped out that year by the Rangers who went on in the playoffs and did well. But, and then I looked at St. Louis, you know, we had 120 points or 115 and they had 47 or something. Uh, We didn't make the playoffs down in the bottom of the league. And I said, Oh man, here we go again. That's going to be like, Minnesota, but uh, again, to Emil Francis' credit, he brought in good quality guys and 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 that bonded together, that played together, and uh, we ended up with a with a with a great run there for a number of years in St. Louis. So it turned out to be, um, you know, a, a great thing for my career, great thing for my family. We you know we still live in St. Louis. Uh, my kids went to school there. I have four kids now. They've all obviously grown, but um, 
uh, we've enjoyed St. Louis and the people and the fans. Absolutely. And we're going to get to that in one second. But so 79-80, you again have a solid year that first year. And now, as we, we talked about with, with, with Wayne Babbage a little bit, Red Berenson comes in at the end of the, at the midpoint or whatever of the 79-80 season, the coach. And you start to see some young kids, Bernie Federico, Brian Sutter, some of the players you mentioned. At the end of that first year, of your first year at the Blues, you can start to see the improvement uh, happening. Um, talk a little bit about Red Berenson. I mean, you've been involved in coaching at, 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 uh, at various levels in youth hockey or whatever. And uh, What about the, the coaching uh, prowess style of Red Berenson? Sure seemed to work for the Blues at that time. Well, Red um, was... I guess, you know, from a coaching standpoint was somebody that, again, I could relate to. I think he could relate to me. He was a, a former centerman. He was, you know, kind of a hardworking guy, you know, kill penalties. He could score, obviously, and, and do lots of lots of different things. So I, I think he brought a little bit more of a, a, a better mindset, intellectual point to the game. Um, I found the same thing actually with Pat Quinn when, when I was coaching, when he was coaching me in Philly, mm-hmm. um, the same way. But, but Red really, um, um, I, I think, got me. I, I got him, and, and he, uh, he gave me an opportunity and um, put me in a position as time went on um, to do a lot of things for the, for the team. So I was uh, you know, the main face-off guy. I was killing penalties. But I was also getting a chance to play on the power play, whether it was second line power play after Bernie, or uh, he put me on the point, um, you know, to play on the power play as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, those things uh, allowed my confidence to, I guess, grow. And then I think um, the addition of Jorgen Pedersen coming into that team and his style of play and mine matched up very well. Um, he was a skilled player. He was smart. He could move the puck and score. And he and I blended well, and um, we had a great right side. You know, it ended up being Wayne Babbage, but but um, a, a number of times it was Joey Mullen, too. So they would move those Joey and Wayne between, you know, Brian Sutter and Bernie Federico and myself and Jorgen. We had two pretty good lines that could do a lot of good things. And I think um, with Wayne, he could he could shoot the puck, and Jorgen and I, you know, were good at maybe handling the puck a little bit more than Wayne, but we could get him the puck to to score goals. And uh, you know, he played physical that year, and and he scored a lot of goals. And and we as a line had had and and as a team had great success. Yeah, it was unfortunate that Wayne, as we discussed in our interview, the next season he got that shoulder injury, and you know, played the rest of his career Im- impaired. Uh, but when you guys had a chance to click, he noted that it was a game in Boston that Red Berenson came to him and some, somewhere during the midseason to the latter part of the season of 8081 and, and asked him or told him to go on the line with yourself and, and Jorgen. And that worked out quite well for him. And as you said, you and Jorgen Pedersen not only clicked on the ice, but uh, as I recall, we're, we're close friends off the ice as well. In fact, it's Jorgen Pedersen's birthday today. Does matter. Yeah, I think it was actually <laughs> yesterday. Oh, okay. uh, where, where it was. <laughs> but he, uh, Jorgen and I are, are good friends. I still talk to. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago uh, when the Stanley Cup. You know, the Blues were were making their run. He was contemplating coming over to you know to visit and and uh, see the last part of it. So uh, he's uh, he, he was a unique individual, great personality, great player. 
and somebody that, um, you know, at that time coming from Sweden, he was one of the early guys over there who, um, you know, came in and performed pretty well in, you know, a little bit more physical environment and, uh, than, than maybe it is today for a European player. So, um, but he and I are, are, are good friends and, uh, you know, still keep in touch. The eighty eighty one season, the season's over. It's a it's a great season. You finished second in the league overall. The team uh, losing in, in the second round of the playoffs, but things are looking good in St. Louis. But for yourself, we've talked about so many times in your career here where you were maybe doubted at some points, where you were injured, where you were sent down, but you were able to just work through it. And that certainly was recognized not only in the American Hockey League with the Fred D. Hunt Award, but by the National Hockey League as well. And you get the Masterton Trophy win, winner in 1981. There had to be a very special thing for you to get such a major award in the NHL. Uh, it was. Um, you know, it... it uh... You know, you never think about those things or understand until all of a sudden I was I was nominated uh, for it. I mean, you're you know you're doing what you're doing to survive and and succeed and 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 be a good NHL player. And and sometimes uh, you know some players and some people have more things that they've got to you know butt up against or or push through. And and I certainly I felt like had my shares of things, but. But I also had a, a focus that I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to succeed, and uh, I was fortunate uh, to get that opportunity in Philadelphia and uh, and St. Louis to do that. So uh, again, looking back and and uh, now years later, or even at that time when I was down in Florida, was the season was over. I was visiting my mom down there with my kids uh, after the season, getting the phone call that. Uh, Acknowledging that that uh, the high had been you know voted the Masterton Trophy winner was uh, was very exciting and very rewarding and uh, something obviously uh, <clears throat> that is that is uh, a treasure I think and and uh, be probably the only person to have won that award in the American League and the NHL. Yeah, good point. Uh, it's something that that you know I I take I don't take for granted and it's uh, it's something that um, is an honor. Sure says a lot about your character. It's something you can be proud of. Something your kids can be proud of too. You're, you had that honor. I had forgotten. Not I, I'd known. I didn't, I didn't put two to get two and two together. You're probably the only player who has achieved that uh, at, at the pro level twice over. Um, but it'll you, be a good trivia question for you, Mark. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> so Blake, you're, you're you have a nice stretch there uh, with with St. Louis, the St. Louis Blues, and you end up in Detroit for a year. In eighty three, eighty four, and I was curious. That team, boy, you guys could score goals. It had a lot of talented players in Detroit, and one of them is an eighteen year old rookie, Steve Eiserman. And I was curious of your reflections of of Steve as a eighteen year old rookie. Well, he was you. You could tell right away his skating ability was uh, was very good. His ability to to move quickly, to cross over, to be agile. Um, you know, was was a certainly ahead of his age and 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 ahead of the league. I think at, at that time, uh, he was just this little baby faced kid. I remember my wife coming into one of the team parties and had said, "Who's that little kid over there?" <laughs> and uh, that was uh, Steve Eiserman. But he was a quality young man uh, right away. Um, and uh, I, you know, I got a chance to play with him a little bit. You know, I would play right wing uh, on on a line with him. Um, you know, when I went to Detroit, um, 
in general, they, they had brought in some older players. Brad Park was there, uh, Ivan Boldarev, uh, Danny Gare, uh, Barry Melrose to kind of stabilize the team as they were trying to bring in uh, these the younger players like Iserman and some of Murray Craven and some of their <clears throat> younger draft picks that kind because of, the franchise hadn't done well, I think, for a little bit. So um, it was in a little bit of transition. Um, and so my role changed there as well. When I came from St. Louis, I was obviously, uh, you know, I took face-offs and killed penalties, but I was also a pretty good offensive player. And when I went there, I was used more in a role of just taking face-offs and, and killing penalties. So I didn't really get to the, you know, the same amount of ice time or opportunities. Uh, you know, I was 31 at the time, which, Again, in in that era, was getting older. Today, it's it's called experience. Then yeah. it's called uh, <laughs> older. Uh, um, but that that was the way the game was, and and uh, I had a good experience. Uh, Detroit was uh, was good to me, and uh, um, watching Stevie Iserman and getting to to see him as a young player, getting to know him and uh, watch his career afterwards, uh, you could tell he was going to be a Hall of Famer. Blake, 1983-84 ends up being your last season in the National Hockey League. So you step into the financial services business. Tell me if I'm incorrect at any point with A.G. Edwards. And you go back to your, you're still in St. Louis. So it's 84-85, the 1984-85, and you seem to step right into that next uh, next phase of life. Is it difficult for you, though? You've done, uh, you've had this camaraderie, you've had this great career, you've done this for uh, the majority of your uh, your life. Now that is over, and you know you're putting on a you know a shirt and tie and getting on to phase two. Was that a difficult transition for you at first? Well, it, it always is. Um, I, I could say that um, you know it was it was a difficult decision to leave hockey or to give that up. Um, the summer before in 1983, um, before I actually, you know, was still in St. Louis, you know, I, I knew at some point my career was going to be coming to an end. Uh, we don't make, uh, the same kind of money that the, the guys do today, obviously. So I knew I would have to have a, uh, a, a second career. So I, I, I had a good friend of mine, uh, that I had actually met, um, coming home from a game in, in, in L.A., and he became good friends at uh, uh, Bob Lefton with Psychological Associates, and his company does a lot of the IQ and preference testing for individuals for jobs and management training and, and so on. Very successful guy, and he was very good to me, gave me an opportunity, said, come in and do this, and we'll figure out where your skills are, where your interests are, and see what we can do. So I did the testing with him and then he said well let me introduce you to a number of people and get that opportunity to um you know maybe explore what you might want to do when you're when, when i'm done playing and uh, that summer um he introduced me to the edwards family ran ag edwards and they ended up um offering me an opportunity to sit in their national sales training class uh, which is you know about six weeks long uh, even though I wasn't registered, I was it was all their new brokers coming in, if you will, or financial people, uh-huh. uh, allowed me to sit and see what I thought and learn and so on. So that gave me the introduction to that firm. And then 
same thing. If I wanted to study and take the tests, uh, they said, well, you, you know, you have, we know you're going to go back and play hockey again, but, um, uh, so it kind of was my introduction. And then when I got traded to Detroit, as you, as you mentioned, and, you know, at the end of around Christmas time, uh, at the end of the season, I had to decide at that point, you know, could I go back to Detroit for another year? I had an offer from Los Angeles, I had an offer from Vancouver, which is my wife's hometown, mm-hmm. just trying to decide, do I want to go? Do I want to move my family? What's the risk? My kids are starting school and weighing off the pros and cons. Um, and it's obviously easier to stay in the hockey business because you know it, uh, it's more secure. Um, you're going to a new business, whether it's the financial business, that's kind of an unknown, it's commission-based. And um, so it was a difficult decision to to give it up. But in the end, it was the certainly the right decision that allowed me to stay in St. Louis, where I had a pretty good name and reputation and uh, get a chance to be involved in one of the you know premier brokerage firms in the country that was headquartered in St. Louis. Um, uh, so it, that's kind of how it transpired. I made that decision, got my uh, financial securities license in October of 84 and started out in the business, um, you know, from scratch. And I've been very fortunate over the last, uh, whatever that is, 35 or mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, years uh, to be, uh, um, you know, to be able to, uh, to be in a great, great industry and, and uh, with a great company. While you're developing your your career uh, in the financial services industry, you're also your your kids end up being you know excellent athletes, and so you you have that. You're but also you you get involved in really with a, a couple of the St. Louis Blues, and I believe John Wensing being one, where you kind of uh, help kickstart youth hockey in St. Louis, which is not necessarily uh, back maybe uh, several years ago was not probably the easiest thing to do uh, on a competitive level if you look at it from a national standpoint. Can you talk a little bit about that experience of your life, of, you know, helping kids get involved in youth hockey and helping the, the kids of St. Louis have a higher profile uh, to the, the amateur hockey scene there in Missouri? Well, it, it started a long time ago, really. I mean, the, there had been good minor programs in, in, in St. Louis trying to get started, uh, um, you know, my, my kids played, uh, my, my older boy be, became a good player and, and we, uh, um, um, we, we, we started with that. And then, um, from that, we, well, really the first step was the, um, Quebec, uh, peewee program. Uh, there was a gentleman named Herb Raskis who wanted to, uh, start up and, and uh, send a team from St. Louis to play in this tournament. So it became the first year. This is a Pee Wee international tournament that has a hundred and some uh, people. I mean, a hundred and some teams in, in the tournament. Um, and and so we, I became the coach or the general manager of putting together that team that, that first year. Um, and then from that, then uh, we took a number of those players and we we ended up developing the triple a program and in the first years of the triple a program um most of the teams didn't want to come to st louis because they didn't think we had good players so the the teams from detroit and chicago we would have to go up there to um, you know to play so it was a, it was an involvement but uh, uh once we did that for the first year you know we we, we took a few lumps and uh, realized that our, our good players were as good as theirs we just needed more depth and more 
more fill-ins. And, and as that happened, then the following years, uh, the games were, were closer and the following years were beating them. And within a, a few years, uh, the uh, Al McKinnis took a team up from St. Louis to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament and won the whole tournament, 120 teams from Russia to all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so St. Louis hockey started to get on the map and a lot of the alumni uh, like myself and John Wensick and Rob Ramage and Basil McRae, Perry Turnbull, Mike Zook, Al McInnes, Jeff Brown. I mean, uh, a lot of guys put a lot of time and effort. Uh, some had kids in the programs um, and some didn't. But I think all that involvement of, of the group and, that, and our alumni association trying to help and promote uh, minor hockey has obviously uh, paid benefits now as you know as you've seen the results over the last few years with the number of kids now in st louis that are not just you know getting grafted but first round picks and dominant uh, dominant players in the nhl right and you had noted your son connor who would end up playing four years at uh, no less than notre dame university but uh blake the st louis blues alumni the blues players i mean that, that community for you know, a lot of guys stay in the community uh, post career and get involved with the alumni and the fans and those players seem to have a, a real good bond, which you could certainly see this year during the Stanley Cup run. Uh, talked a little bit about that relationship. Uh, you know, I talked to Wayne about what it was like playing in St. Louis, but you've played there, you've lived there your entire life, uh, your entire post career life. Uh, talk a little bit about the St. Louis uh, hockey community and why it's such a, a popular destination for ex Blues when they retire. Well, I think it's a tribute really to the fans and to the city of St. Louis in, in, in all areas. I mean, when you look at the players that, I mean, we, I think we have 45 or in that area uh, of, of current alumni that live in St. Louis have stayed in St. Louis. Uh, lots of hall of famers, lots of good players, lots of, you know, uh, everyday players. But the, the reason and some of these players that had great careers in other cities, uh, like Al McKinnis in Calgary or Chris Pronger, you know, in, in, in Philadelphia, and Brett mm-hmm. Hull, you know, um, in Dallas and Calgary, um, Keith Kachuk, um, all these guys uh, have found a bond in St. Louis that was comfortable. The, pe- the people were treated them well. They treated them with respect. Um uh, I think the school systems are good, uh, community's good, and all of those things. Plus, I think the number of players that had, you know, had stayed before. Bruce Affleck has done a great job with the alumni. I've been mm-hmm. involved with the alumni now for 25 or 30 years or whatever. So I, th- I think it's a lot of things that we tried to do and give back as a group. And the city and the people certainly gave back and made everyone uh, and their families feel feel good about uh you know, about making St. Louis a permanent uh, residence. Blake, you've had a lot of success post-career now, of course, with your own investment group, Dunlop Investment Group, with your son, Connor. Um, looking back at your career, again, where, where perseverance was so important, how, I always say, you know, hire a hockey player because, <laughs> you know, for a lot of reasons uh, that you're f- familiar with. But talk a little bit about how being a hockey player and having the type of career you have, the type of coaching you had along the way, how that influenced your ability to become successful post-career. Well, I, I think you learn and are taught and are, you know, forced. If you're going to be successful in hockey, you've got to do a lot of things. And, and, and that's having a 
confidence in yourself, knowing who you are. Uh, it's a it's a work ethic. It's a, a, a you know a, a trust uh, ethic as 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 well. So all of those things that you have to um, you have to practice, you have to work hard at. You've got to be on time. It's a little bit uh, military like in a mm-hmm. way, and right. and and you 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 learn what you need to do to succeed in a group environment but also succeeding individually. And sometimes those are two things that don't always work well together. When you're trying to excel as an individual, you have to learn how to do that in the context of a, of a bigger group and a, and a bigger goal. So I think those types of abilities to be able to see and understand what you need to do to sexual and how can you help the person and the people around you be successful um, bodes well in any business environment and, uh, and the work ethic that is taken to get to the level of the NHL or any kind of pro sport like that takes a lot of time and effort and, and, uh, uh, you know, mental energy and confidence, which, uh, again, transcends into, uh, into dealing with people and, and to dealing with yourself to make sure you can find a way to be successful. Absolutely. Well said. So, Blake, I want to thank you again for your, your time today. Congratulate you on two great careers and a great uh, job with, with your family. You're ever, ever expanding with grandchildren and everything. But we appreciate the time here yeah. tr- tremendously today. And uh, we'll look forward to staying in touch. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about and, and, and relive some, some, uh, some wonderful memories that, that I've been able to have. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. Just a reminder to please consider giving the show a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. The link is in the show notes. These ratings and reviews help us become a lot more visible and make the show more accessible to hockey fans everywhere. I personally read all the reviews and greatly appreciate them all. If you have thoughts or suggestions for the show, you can talk to, contact us through our website at ProHockeyAlumni.org or be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at ProHockeyAlumni. Thanks for listening.